0: Hey friend, welcome to the Soulfully You podcast with Coach Chris Rodriguez. I'm a movement and mindset coach, and I believe in a deeper way of living, a more soulful way of being. Join me each week for conversations about how to put a little more soul into our work, our relationships, and our everyday lives. Several years ago, my wife and I took a trip to Costa Rica. The part of the island we stayed on was special because it had a Jamaican influence. So, that Latin Caribbean kind of flavor that I grew up with my whole life was something that I was around on this island. When we first got into town, we went to a Jamaican restaurant and I was excited to eat my traditional food. As we're eating, I begin to tell Molly, this is good, but you haven't had anything until you had my uncle's Jamaican food. I start to talk about my uncle, Papa Lover, who, in my opinion, is the coolest person who ever walked the face of the earth. He was a reggae DJ. And I remember my childhood, growing up, going to his house and seeing these big reggae parties, his backyard and driveway filled with beautiful people dancing and eating the food that he cooked. As I tell her about all this stuff, she says, when am I going to meet your uncle? And I told her, when we go back to New Jersey, you got to meet him. When I got home from that trip, I got a call that let me know that my uncle, Papa Lover, Passed away. It broke my heart. It crushed me. It was one of the hardest moments I'd ever experienced. In my life, I've had my fair share of grief. And to be honest, it's something that I've never really been comfortable with. Over the years, I've had to reconcile that relationship with grief. And especially over these past couple years, as family and clients and friends have been going through their own grief. As I've walked with them, I've learned that we can all learn something from our grief and from walking with others in their grief. Here's a conversation with palliative care and hospice doctor, B.J. Miller, as he teaches us beautiful ways we
1: can grieve. Well, we all need a reason to wake up. For me, it just took 11,000 volts. I know you're too polite to ask, so I will tell you. One night, sophomore year of college, just back from Thanksgiving holiday, a few of my friends and I were horsing around. We decided to climb atop a parked commuter train. It's Just sitting there with the wires that run overhead. Somehow, that seemed like a great idea at the time. We'd certainly done stupider things. I scurried up the ladder on the back, and when I stood up, the electrical current entered my arm, blew down and out my feet, and that was that. Would you believe that watch still works? (laughs) Takes a licking. My father wears it now in solidarity. That night began my formal relationship with death, uh, my death, and it also began my long run as a patient. It's a good word; it means one who suffers. So I guess we're all patients. Now, the American healthcare system has more than its fair share of dysfunction. To match its brilliance, to be sure, I'm a physician now, a hospice, and. Palliative medicine doc, so I've seen care from both sides. And believe me, most everyone who goes into healthcare really means well. I mean truly. But we who work in it are also unwitting agents for a system that too often does not serve. Why? Well there's actually a pretty easy answer to that question. And explains a lot. Because healthcare was designed with diseases, not people at its center. Which is to say, of course, it was badly designed. And nowhere are the effects of bad design more heartbreaking or the opportunity for good design more compelling than at the end of life, where things are so distilled and concentrated. There's no do-overs. My purpose today is to reach out across disciplines and invite design thinking into this big conversation. That is, to bring intention and creativity to the experience of dying. So let's begin at the end. For most people, the scariest thing about death isn't being dead. It's dying, suffering. It's a key distinction. After my limbs were gone, that loss, for example, became fact, fixed, necessarily part of my life. And I learned I could no more reject uh, this fact than reject myself. It took me a while, but I would learned it eventually. Now, another great thing about necessary suffering is that it is the very thing that unites caregiver and care receiver human beings. This, we are finally realizing, is where healing happens. Yes, compassion, literally, as we learned yesterday, suffering together. Now, on the systems side, on the other hand, so much of the suffering is unnecessary, invented, serves no good purpose. But the good news is, since this brand of suffering is made up, well, we can change it. How we die is indeed something we can affect. So much of what we're talking about today is a shift in perspective. Flash forward, now I work at an amazing place in San Francisco called the Zen Hospice Project, where we have a little ritual that helps with this shift in perspective. When one of our residents dies, the mortuary men come, and as we're wheeling the body out through the garden, heading for the gate, we pause. Anyone who wants Fellow residents, family, nurses, volunteers, the hearse drivers too now, share a story or a song or silence as we sprinkle the body with flower petals. takes a few minutes. It's a sweet, simple parting image to usher in grief with warmth rather than repugnance. Anesthetic. Literally the opposite of aesthetic. I revere hospitals for what they can do. I am alive because of them. But we ask too much of our hospitals. They are places for acute trauma and treatable illness. They're no place to live and die. That's not what they were designed for. Now, mind you, I'm not giving up on the notion that our institutions can become more humane. Beauty can be found anywhere. In my work over the years, I've known many people who were ready to go, ready to die. and Not because they had found some final peace or transcendence, but because they were so repulsed by what their lives had become. In a word, cut off or ugly. Now is a time to create something new, something vital. I know we can because we have to. The alternative is just unacceptable. And the key ingredients are known, policy, education and training, systems, bricks and mortar. We have tons of input for designers of all stripes to work with. We know, for example, from research, what's most important to people who are closer to death. Comfort, feeling unburdened and unburdening to those they love. Existential peace and a sense of wonderment and spirituality. Over Zen Hospice's nearly 30 years, we've learned much more from our residents in subtle detail. Little things aren't so little. Sensuous, aesthetic gratification where in a moment, in an instant, we are rewarded for just being. So much of it comes down to loving our time by way of the senses, by way of the body the very thing doing the living and the dying. Probably the most poignant room in the Zen Hospice guest house is our kitchen, which is a little strange when you realize that so many of our residents can eat very little, if anything at all. But we realize we are providing sustenance on several levels. Smell, the symbolic plane. Seriously, with all the heavy-duty stuff happening under our roof, one of the most... Tried and true interventions we know of is to bake cookies. We can't, we can't solve for death. (laughs) I know some of you are working on this. (laughs) Meanwhile, we can, (laughs) we can design towards it. Now, parts of me died early on, and that's something we can all say one way or another. I got to redesign my life around this fact, and I tell you, it has been a liberation to realize you can always find a shock of beauty or meaning in what life you have left. Grief is the
0: emotion associated with loss. There really isn't a right way to grieve. And in fact, what I've found is that when we're grieving, Most times our response is irrational. It makes us a little crazy. When we lose a loved one, in my opinion, that's one of the deepest forms of trauma. We can grieve any person, place, or thing we have a relationship with. But so often people tell us that there are things we shouldn't grieve. Maybe people have told you, you can't grieve everything you've lost in these past couple of years. You can't grieve the places you used to go, the things you used to do. Some people will tell you, you shouldn't grieve relationships that you've lost, friendships or romance, because the people are still alive. They gaslight you for having this emotion of loss. I remember back in college when a girlfriend would break up with me and I'd be so distraught, but at the same time, so ashamed that I felt this way and putting on myself this pressure that, Chris, you should get it together, move on. Well, that's not the way our brains work. In loss of relationships, even if the person is still alive, our brain doesn't reconcile the difference between someone who is no longer here because of death or someone is no longer here because of a broken relationship. That means our body responds all the same ways. Another thing that people say we shouldn't grieve is the loss of a celebrity. I remember being a kid and one of my favorite singers, Aaliyah, was tragically killed in a plane crash. And I remember saying to an adult in my life, I'm so sad. This is crushing me. And the response was, why do you feel that way? You don't even know her. I didn't really have an answer. Now as an adult, As I've watched more and more celebrities pass on, I've realized that these celebrities, it's not that I know them, but it's that their art really paints a picture of my world. And it feels as if they know me, and they know my story. It's been about a year since the death of actor Chadwick Boseman, and I remember that week Anytime I would see a picture of him, anytime somebody would play a clip, anytime I saw one of his movies, I just couldn't stop crying because for me, he painted such a picture of my world and he showed me all of the ways I could reimagine my own life. So many times we fall prey to bad ideas that wound others while they're grieving. Since we have a discomfort with grief, we say or do the wrong things to others. One of these ideas I see a lot is in religious contexts, where somebody tells a person who is mourning, it was a part of God's plan. That's not very helpful or very kind to say to someone. In that same vein, a preacher or a minister might say something like, this isn't the time to mourn. No, it is very much the time to mourn. And we could celebrate someone's life while still taking moments to be sad and somber. Sometimes we want people to move through grief too quickly. We look at them, we look at their demeanor, we look at the ways they're not coping with life, and we treat them as if they should have gotten over it already. Grief is something that sticks with us our entire life. We don't recover from grief. Even though we might find new coping skills, we still experience these moments of loss of that loved one throughout our lives. One of the worst responses we can have is no response at all, not saying anything because we don't know what to say. This is one of the ways that we leave people alone in their suffering. And to get out of that suffering, we need each other. Rather than responding in these ways, we can use these moments of grief to help others find beauty. A few years ago, one of the co-authors of the five stages of grief, David Kessler, realized that people were using his stages as more of a formula and that they were taking it and using it the wrong way. And after experiencing some tragedy in his own life, the loss of his son, he went through his own process again went through all the stages and realized that there was a sixth stage of grief. And that stage is finding meaning. So many great thinkers and great societies have done the work of trying to make sense of death. But we can turn our attention to finding meaning in the life of the love. That we've had for that person or thing that we've lost. I remember when I went back home to go attend the funeral for my uncle. We get there and one of the young guys that was one of his mentees was playing music at the viewing, playing all my uncle's favorite songs. Afterwards, we went to a hall where more of my cousins And some of their friends were just DJing reggae music all night. And there was a big spread of food for us to eat. The next day, as we buried my uncle, we all cried. And then we went back to that same hall and we danced and sang and ate together. For me, as I was watching this, I was learning how to find meaning in his life. One of the stories that my aunt told us at the funeral was the day that my uncle passed away, he had already cooked dinner and he had packed my aunt's lunch for the next day. Even in his death, he was providing for his family and giving them love in the form of a meal. So for me, the way that I honored his legacy is for my birthday that year, I invited all my friends over and I cooked a big Jamaican style meal. I said, come, I don't want a gift. I just want to feed you. And that's become a tradition that I've kept in my own life. When I love somebody, when I want to tell somebody that I appreciate them, I take on the legacy of my uncle and I give him a meal. We all have our different ways that we grieve. We've all lost so much. But this is my invitation to you. To find meaning. And to find beauty in your grief. Thank you for listening to the Soulfully You podcast with Coach Chris Rodriguez. If you like the show, Help others find me by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to connect with me on Instagram at Coach underscore Chris Rodriguez. For more episodes, along with all of my coaching programs, visit me at www.coachchrisrodriguez.com. Special thanks to my team behind the scenes. Editing and show notes by Holly Lyddiard. And music by Dan Smith. And remember, whatever you do, wherever you find yourself today, make sure you put some soul in it.